All right, the title is uh, Leviathan is King over all the children of pride, which is the last verse of our study today in, on chapter 41. Now, chapter 40 and 41 are uh, God talk, giving us the, the, the knowledge that we are powerless against even our flesh, behemoth, and especially against the spirit realm, which is uh, Leviathan, the king over all the children of pride. Our verses today are 24 through 44, uh, 34, excuse me, and uh, they are, His heart is as firm as a stone, yes, as hard as a piece of nether millstone. When he raises up himself, the mighty are afraid, by reason of breaking, so they purify themselves. Terrible, terrible translations here, but we'll get into that. The sword of him that lays at him cannot hold, the spear, the dart, the habergian, he esteems iron as straw, and brass as rotten wood. The arrow cannot make him flee. Sling stones are turned with him into stubble. Darts are counted as stubble. He laughs at the shaking of a spear. Sharp stones are under him. He spreads sharp-pointed things upon the mire. He makes the deep to boil like a pot. He makes the sea like a pot of ointment. He makes, the path, he makes a path to shine after him. One would think the deep to be hoary. And as we were discussing with uh, Brian, that means to be white, foamy white. Upon the earth there is none like his like, who is made without fear. He beholds all things. He is king over all the children of pride. So, uh, God is letting us know that he is the maker of Leviathan. His sword can come against him as we read in our previous studies. But you and I, we do not stand a chance. And if we don't know Christ, if Christ is not in us, uh, we are food for our enemies instead of them being food for us. We are food for the serpent. Through Job, the Lord is showing us that he never intended for the first Adam to be physically saved. God isn't saving physical things. He's showing us that his plan all along was to use the first Adam as nothing more than the catalyst for the salvation of the last Adam, who will be the immortal spirit he had in mind when he initially called us in Christ before the world began. And that's what we're told in 2 Timothy 1 verse 9 and in Titus 1 verse 2. 2 Timothy 1 9, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling. Not according to our works. Not according to our so-called free will. That would be works of ours. A choice that we made. Not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and, pl and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Now, grace chastens us. God says that he, was, he knew exactly what he would have to chasten us before the world began. Titus 1 verse 2, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. The Greek is chronose, uh, before chronoseonios, pro chronoseonios. So God had it all figured out in advance. Now, if there are, is any truth to these verses of Scripture, and they are true, then the question of whether God knew in advance whether Adam and Eve would eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is settled. 
because God could not have called us in Christ Jesus before the world began if there were even the slightest chance that the first Adam would not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That, that, was, that was not a question in God's mind. He knew what Adam would do. He created him to do what he did. He made him to do what he did. Revelation 13, verse 8. All that dwell on the earth will worship him. Talking about the beast and the dragon, whose names are not written in the book of the life of the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world. Christ was, in God's mind and thoughts, offered for the sins of the world before, before the first sin was ever committed. Before the first man who committed the first sin was ever created. God already knew exactly what would happen. Now, since we've determined that God knew in advance that Adam and Eve would eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we've also discovered in that determination the fact that God intended for that to happen. That he knew in advance exactly what Adam would do and had already provided the sacrifice for that sin from the foundation of the world. So much for the false doctrine of mankind ever being given a free will. We're told in no uncertain terms that such a doctrine is a lie. Romans 9, verse 16 through 18, So it's not of him that wills, nor of him that runs, but of God that shows mercy. For the scripture said unto Pharaoh, For this same cause purpose I raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my might might be declared throughout all the earth. Therefore he has mercy on whom he will have mercy, and whom he will, he hardens. Now that is a speaking, of course, directly to you and me, because we are Pharaoh, but it's also speaking uh, dispensationally that God hardens and and uh, has mercy on whom he will down through the ages. God will, God's will is that uh, is all that's being done. I mean, God, God's will is not being thwarted in anything. Nothing occurs outside of his direction. He either shows us mercy, making our hearts pliable and intent upon obeying his every word, or he hardens our hearts, making us to err. And that's what it says in Isaiah 63, 17. Why, why have you made us to err? Why have you hardened our heart from your ways? Both are the work of his hands, whether we err or not, whether we do well and obey, or whether we disobey. Both are the work of his hands. Causing Job to condemn his Lord was a type of causing Judas to do what Judas did and condemn the Lord. Christ tells us clearly that he knew what Judas would do before the world began. Look at John 13, verse 18. I speak not of you all. I know whom I have chosen, but, the script, but that the scripture might be fulfilled. He that eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. Christ had just told him that one of them would betray him. and He, he, he let it be known that he knew exactly who it was. In advance... John 15, verse 16, You have not chosen me, for all everyone who thinks they have free will, but I have chosen you, and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain, and whatever you do should ask in the, the Father in my name, he may give it you. What God is showing us, through Job, through Behemoth, through Leviathan, is that he not only knows in advance exactly what and when we will both do good and when we will do evil, because the Lord himself is, through the spirit realm, orchestrating and working all things after the counsel of his own will. 
Our Lord knew before he even called Judas to be his disciple that Judas would be the one who would betray him to be crucified. That was the purpose for which Judas was chosen to be one of the twelve. That's exactly what the scriptures proclaim in Acts 4, verses 27 and 28. For of a truth against your holy child Jesus, whom you have anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles, and the people of Israel were gathered together, for to do whatsoever your hand and your counsel determined before to be done. What this tells us from Genesis to Revelation is that there is no great unresolved battle between God and Satan. The only battle being fought is a predestined battle in the heavens of our hearts that God predestined. I mean, it's, it's a battle he intended for us to fight as we struggle to be, come to see and accept the sovereign work of God in our lives over both our evil deeds and our good deeds. He makes no bones about it. He makes us to err. He made us sin. And he is the one who brings us through that trial. Ephesians 1, verse 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings, blessings in the heavens, according as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us, chosen us before the foundation of the world, predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, his will, the word places in verse 3 is not in the Greek. Paul is informing us that we in Christ even now, in down payment form, are seated in the heavens with Christ. Ephesians 2.6 says it. And raised us up together and seated us together in the heavens, in Christ. In Revelation 12, verses 7-9, through 9, there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought in his angels. Now we all know where heaven is, the heaven of our hearts and minds. That's where God dwells. He dwells in the heaven. He dwells in his temple. And that's who we are. We are the temple and we are the heavens. And prevailed not, and neither was their place found anymore in heavens. I'd say they were cast out of our heart and mind. We are given dominion over them. And yes, someone asked about this. Does that mean that uh, Satan and Christ are sitting on the throne at the same time? No, Christ is in the dominion. But Satan is still there. When Christ is on the throne, he's on the throne. And, uh, and he's got the essential uh, not. This is Romans 6, verse 14. You're not under the, the law or under sin because sin does not have dominion over you. The dominion is now Christ's, but the war is an ongoing process. And the great dragon was cast out. Get this now. The dragon... That old serpent called the devil and Satan, all one and the same thing, which deceives the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. This is not just an end time event. This was being done when these words were first penned, and they've been being fulfilled in every generation since, and they'll continue to be fulfilled in the lives of every person who has ever or ever will live until the consummation of the eons, at the end of the lake of fire. 
Christ himself made that very clear, and he wants us to know that his word is not transitory or temporary, but is alive and powerful in every generation of mankind. Look at Matthew 24, verse 34 and 35. Now this is after Christ has said that the abomination of desolation must happen, that the end of the ages must come about. And so many things that are said there in Matthew 24, after all that, he says, this generation will not pass till all these things be fulfilled in our heavens and in our earth. Heaven and earth, our heavens and our earth, as they are now, shall pass away, be replaced with a new heaven and a new earth. But my words shall not pass away. So there it is. This generation is every generation reading and even given, being given uh, uh, to understand the words of our Lord, including this generation we're living in. In uh, verse 15 of Matthew 24 here, he makes a statement, he says, When you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, and it's spoken of about four different times in the book of Daniel, Christ just mentions them all in one. He says, Let him that reads understand. Let him that reads understand. He knew this would be being read down through the ages, down through the generations. In this chapter of Job, the Lord is emphasizing for us, for our own benefit, just how mighty the powers are which he himself has ordained to bring about the death of our old man, and through that death to bring forth the birth of our new man. But it's all of God. This is Leviathan, against whom we ourselves have no power at all. This is that dragon, that old serpent, the devil. And here's what we're told. His heart is firm as stone, yea, as hard as a piece of nether millstone. That's the very purpose for which Leviathan was created. Hard heart is the most common figure in Scripture for rebellion and unbelief. Who God loves, he shows mercy by giving a soft, pliable heart. But when we're in rebellion, and God has us there, we're being given a heart as hard as a rebellious stone. Uh, Isaiah 63, 17 is the verse I referred to earlier. O Lord, why have you made us to err from your ways? The Lord made us to err and hardened our heart from your fear. Return for your servants' sake the tribes of your inheritance. Now we quoted that verse to our uh, friends we had here this week and the first time they read it, like we all do, we just read right over it and don't even see it. And you have to bring them back to it and say, did, did, who, who made us to err? Ask the question, who made us to err? Wow. They, 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 they were just, oh, wow. That, that was their reaction. And that's, that's the reaction of anyone when God first opens their eyes to be able to see his word and see who's really in charge and who's running the show in all things. Ezekiel 36, verse 26. A new heart will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you, and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. He's going to take away something that's hard and give us something that's soft, pliable. Now, this is the positive application for the word flesh. You know, every word has a positive and a negative. Well, here the flesh is actually being used to represent a spirit that can receive the truth of God. 
And that's that's a rare thing for flesh to be used in that way. It's far more generally used as a figure of the hard, rebellious heart, carnal heart, fleshly heart. Verse 25, when he raises himself, the mighty are afraid. By reason of breakings, they purify themselves. Now, this entire verse is a mystery to the commentators. I couldn't find one that had a clue what it meant. Uh, the, the word mighty is the Hebrew word El, which is God. You know, uh, the uh, king of the prince of Tyrus and the king of Ty, uh, Ty, uh, Babylon both said, I am a God. I am God. I, I, I'll exalt myself above the stars of heaven. That's what's being said here. The mighty word, the mighty means when he raises himself up, the mighty are afraid. That's even the strongest on earth are afraid when Leviathan raises himself up. The word afraid is gur, which is most often translated as sojourn, though it's uh, defined as turn or turn aside, and that's that's how they get the word sojourn or turn aside to spend the night somewhere. By reason of breakings, it's taken from two Hebrew words, mene and sheber, perhaps pronounced shaber, but mene means a part of or from, and shaber means a fracture or ruin. In the entire phrase, they purify themselves, is all translated from one Hebrew word, katah, which is the Hebrew word for sin. So that's a terrible, terrible translation for that verse, and uh, even the commentators can't couldn't figure it out. But you and I should should have no doubt. Shouldn't shouldn't have any problem understanding what that means. We know uh, now what the Hebrew words are, and we already understand that the point the Lord is making is telling us about Behemoth and uh, Leviathan so that we can see how helpless we ourselves are to withstand them. With that in mind, we can now much better understand what the Lord is telling us through Job. In this verse, he's telling us that when Leviathan raises himself up to do the work the Lord sends him to do within the sea of humanity, the sea always represents humanity as a whole. Even men like the Prince of Tyre and the King of Babylon, who are types of us who think they are gods, will turn aside, flee in fear because they are fractured or ruined, and that's the meaning of of that that particular word, Sheba. And and they are marred in the potter's hand. Made kata, made sin. That's that's what he's saying. And it's very clear when you have eyes to see. And of course the whole point again is we are helpless against the powers that God has arrayed against us. Our flesh behemoth and the spirit realm. We don't stand a chance without Christ coming into our lives and helping us to resist what the Lord himself has, has uh, arrayed against us. And, and it's all for our own day of evil. So when we read Proverbs 16 verse 4, we need to understand that. The Lord has made all things for himself. Yes, even the wicked Mike Vincent and each of you for the day of evil in each of us. Such is the power of Leviathan 
over the flesh of mankind. Here we are. The sword of, verses 26 through 29, the sword of him that lays at him cannot hold, the spear, the dart, nor the habergian. He esteems iron as straw, and brass as rotten wood. The arrow cannot make him flee. Sling stones are turned with him into stubble. Darts are counted as stubble. He laughs at the shaking of the spear. Now James pointed out to me, and I appreciate that, James, that that second word darts there is actually clubs. But the point again is the same. It's all just stubble. If we think that we on our own can take on our own flesh, behemoth, much less the spirit realm, which there is a false doctrine out there that wants us to believe that there's no such thing as the spirit realm. It's just our flesh. Satan is just our flesh. That's all he is. But he is much more than that. The adversary, that old serpent, the devil, and Satan literally laughs at our attempts to fight against him apart from Christ in us. And here's what happens when we're fighting against sin in our lives without having Christ living within us. Yeah, I'm going to go back to Romans 7, quote it again. Now then it's no more I that do it, but sin that dwells in me. I have no power over it, is what Paul is saying. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwells no good thing. For to will, will not to do something bad, is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would, I do not. But the evil that I would not, that I do. That's how helpless we are against behemoth and leviathan. The flesh and the spirit world. Now if I do that, I would not. It's no more I that do it. Repeating what he said in verse 17. But sin that dwells in me. I find then a law that when I would do a law, a law that God has established, when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God. There's another law God has established. After the inward man. But I see another law in my members. Warring against the law of my mind. And bringing me into captivity. To the law of sin which is in my members. O wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from the body of this death. Now that's who we are against Leviathan the death angel. Who has been given the power of death over our old man. Remember what happened in Exodus 12, verse 29? It came to pass at midnight, the Lord smote all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. From the firstborn of Pharaoh that sat on his throne, under the firstborn of the captive that was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the cattle. How did the Lord put forth his hand and smite the firstborn of Egypt? He did it in the same way that he put forth his hand and smote Job with boils. Job 2, verse 3 through 6. The Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? That there's the second time the Lord did this, by the way. That there's none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that fears God and eschews evil. And still he holds fast his integrity, though you moved me against him to destroy him without cause. It's interesting that the Lord said that you moved me against him. Because Satan can't do anything that the Lord doesn't have him to do. But the Lord has to do that for us to hear this story. He has to put it in those terms. Like he told Moses, just, just to make this point. When he, brought, when he told Moses he wanted to bring Israel out of Egypt, he said, I want, he went to Moses who had fled Egypt and gone to Midian, 
and married uh, a woman there and had a family, he shows up at, 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 uh, in the burning bush and tells Moses, uh, look, I want to send you to Egypt to deliver my people. And I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart and I'm going to deliver my people with a great uh, de deliverance. And, uh, and then after it happens, with all the trials that went along with that, and Israel is uh, complaining about God having the golden calf and all that, God says to, to Moses, get out of the way so I can destroy these people that you brought up out of Egypt. Now the Lord does that just to demonstrate for us how he works. He lets us know that he brought us up and then he says, you brought them up. Like, work out your own salvation. It's all God just dealing with us. And we need to appreciate the fact that he has shown us so much of these details. So let's read it again. The Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job that he's a perfect, that there's uh, none like him in the earth, a perfect and upright man, one that fears God and eschews evil, and still holds fast his integrity, though you move me against him to destroy him without cause? And Satan said to the Lord, just as the Lord ordained that he should, Skin for skin, all that a man has will he give for his life. But put forth your hand now, and touch his bone and flesh, and he'll curse you to your face. Do you think that God was wondering, wow, maybe he will, let's find out. No, the Lord said to Satan, behold, he's in your hand. There it is. Put forth your hand, Satan says to God, and the Lord says he's in your hand. But save his life. Go this far and no further. That's how it's done. That's how everything is accomplished. It's the Lord himself who sends Satan to smite Job, but the Lord tells us that Satan was used to move against Job. Only God is so great that he has to create and use his own adversary. Verse 7, So Job, so Satan went from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with boils from his sole of his foot to his crown. Now that's a good example of our next verse. Job 41 verse 30. Sharp stones are under him. He spreads sharp pointed things upon the mire. Now I'm going to quote Albert Barnes' uh, commentary on this verse because he gives us the meaning, a terrible translation again, meaning of the word in Hebrew, and, uh, and then he demonstrates how we all without Christ cannot apply spiritual meaning to the words of Scripture. I mean, Barnes is a typical commentator with absolutely... No spiritual insights. All these uh, commentators concern themselves with the physical words before them. He says, sharp stones under him. The margin in Hebrew is, and he gives the Hebrew there, meaning uh, pieces of potsherd. The uh, Hebrew word, sharp, uh, the kadu, kadula, I haven't pronounced that right, but it's C-H-S-K, Kadud, means uh, sharp-pointed. And the phrase is used here to mean uh, sharp points of potsherds, or broken uh, pieces of earthenware. The reference is undoubtedly to the scales of the animal, which were rough and pointed, like the broken pieces of earthenware. This description would not agree with the whale, but indeed would accord with no other animal so well as the crocodile. 
Now, that's what Barnes says. The meaning is that under his, that the underparts of his body with which he rests upon the mire is made up of sharp pointed things like broken pottery. Well, nothing is further from the truth so far as that crocodile is concerned. Uh, and uh, another commentator, Gill, makes that very point. I don't know whether he was just had read uh, uh, Barnes, and, and it couldn't be that because he wrote beforehand, and here's what Gill says. Sharp stones are under him, and yet give him no pain or uneasiness. He spreads pointed things upon the mire and makes his bed of them and lies upon them, as sharp stones are before the shells of fish or broken pieces of darts and arrows and javelins thrown at him, which fall around him. This does not so well agree with the crocodile, the skin of whose belly is soft and thin, whereof dolphins plunge under it and cut it with, uh, as with a thorn, as Pliny relates, or with spiny fins. But, but this agrees with the whale, he says, which lies among hard rocks and sharp stones and large cutting pieces of ice, as in the northern seas. Well, whales don't breathe fire or any of those other things that are said, but that just shows that mankind is all wrapped up and concerned in trying to figure out which animal is involved in this story, when that is not the point. Carnal-minded commentators are very educated men. Nevertheless, the mind which compares spiritual things with spiritual types and shadows knows that the earthen vessel of clay is always a reference to mankind. And the point that God is making is the point that he's making throughout is that Satan just has us for lunch and breaks us to pieces and puts us under him. Jeremiah 18.4 The vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made again another vessel that seemed good to the potter to make it. Then the word of the, word of the Lord came to me saying, O house of Israel, cannot I do with you as this potter, saith the Lord? Behold, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. But one of the things that the potter is doing with us is turning us over to our father, the devil, first, who breaks us and destroys us. All the New Testament writers were very much aware of this biblical type and shadow, of, the, of, of uh, earthenware being a type of of mankind. So Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 4 7, we have this treasure, meaning Christ within us, in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Again, the very point being made to us through Job is that God has given the kingdoms of this world over to Satan, and we are all at first under the power and influence of the great red dragon who empowers and enthrones the beast within us. The fact that we are pictured as being broken pieces under him is just the exact opposite of what Leviathan uh, himself will become during the thousand year reign of Christ and his elect over this earth. Now look at, look at this. this is, it's just a very interesting uh, reflection you know, like, like we so often do, you know, if you can show the exact opposite, you can often see the message is being given. Revelation 2, 26 and 27. He that overcomes and keep my, keeps my words works unto the end, 
To him will I give power over the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron. As the vessels of a potter shall they be broken in shivers, even as I received of my father. So, Satan receives of our father to put us under him first, and later the role is reversed. Revelation 20, verse 1 and 2. I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he lay hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years. So he is put under God's elect during the thousand years and then also during the lake of fire. Leviathan is the dragon who during the thousand year reign will be sharp stones, sharp pointed things under the feet of God's elect who will be ruling this earth during that thousand years. But while our flesh is given over to Leviathan, as Job's flesh was, this is what we are and how, what he does with with us. He makes the sea, he makes deep, the deep, to boil like a pot. He makes the sea like a pot of ointment. He makes a path to shine after him. One would think the deep to be hoary. In other words, he just has his way with us. Satan Leviathan will have his way in the seed, sea of mankind. God himself has given Satan to be the king over the nations of this earth, the sea of mankind. Luke 4, verse 5 and 6, And the devil, taking him up into a high mountain, shows him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, All this power will I give you, and the glory of them, for that is delivered unto me. Well, who did that? Well, the Lord did that. And to whomever I will give it. We're told that Satan is the god of this world. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4, In whom the god of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not. Another scripture says God has given them blinded eyes. So it's, it's, it's the same thing we see throughout scripture. God does it. He does it through the spirit realm, the evil spirit realm. Lest the, uh, the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. That state of blindness is called darkness. And the state of darkness is administered by principalities and powers and rulers of darkness. And those powers are all located in our heavens. Ephesians 6.12 We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in the heavens. We wrestle in the heavens. <clears throat> and in the heavens... Is, are the rulers of the darkness of this world. So it's given to Satan to keep our eyes blinded. He accomplishes this through all of his false lying doctrines which, the, which twist the word of God. 2 Peter 3.16 And also in all his epistles speaking in them of these things in which are some things hard to be understood which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, twist, as they do also the other scriptures unto their own destruction. Now there we have it, showing us how the adversary goes about deceiving. And we also, in passing there, have a proof that this, the epistles of Paul were already considered scripture while Peter was still alive. But we're also given to know that all of this 
is really being done, worked by God himself, who sends Satan forth to accomplish his work. So, when we specifically are told that all evil spirits are sent to us from the Lord, then it's no contradiction to tell us that God has given them the spirit of blindness. It's not contradicting, it's expounding. Romans 11, verse 8, according as it, as it is written, God has given them the spirit of slumber, eyes that they should not see and ears that they should not hear. To this day, 1 Samuel 16, 14, the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. 1 Samuel 16, 15, and Saul's servant said to him, Behold now, an evil spirit from God troubles you. 1 Kings 22, verse 23. Now therefore, behold, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these thy prophets. And the Lord has spoken evil concerning you. Satan is no different than you and me. We all wonder how it's possible for God to be sovereign. And yet, we appear to make our own decisions. Whether to obey or disobey. Whether to repent or rebel. Or whether we fear God or condemn him in his ways. Job, the type of all of us, is a vessel of clay with no real, really deep fear of God. He certainly didn't fear God enough to keep him from contending with, reproving, and condemning God. Satan, on the other hand, is not earthbound as we are. He's a heavenly creature with no fear of God. And so we read Job 41, verse 33, Upon the earth there is none his like, who is made without fear. Without the fear of God is what he's talking about. God is letting us know that there is a spirit realm against which the most powerful men are totally helpless. Mankind can make all the moves he wants, movies I should say, uh, about how mankind is capable of conquering invaders from out of outer space, as we call it, the heavens. But our Lord is not the least bit impressed or intimidated. We can't even contend with God's created adversary, much less with God himself. So, here's what we're told about the power of God, which, which God has given over to Satan to, to deal with us. Job 1, verse 12, The Lord said unto Satan, All he has is in your power, only upon himself put not forth your hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord, and he, as we know, he destroyed everything Job had. And then in verse, chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he's in your hand, but save his life. Tells him exactly what to do, and he does exactly what he's told. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord, and smote Job with sore, sore boils from the sole of his foot to his crown. Now we know what this verse means. Hebrews 10, verse 31. This should have a whole lot more meaning to us. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. The hand of the Lord is Satan himself when it comes to needing to discipline you and me. It is this book of Job which so clearly demonstrates how Satan's every move is nothing more than the hands of the living God. Remember, Satan himself admits that all he does is at God's hand and God's command. Satan answered the Lord and says, Did Job fear God for naught? Have not you put a hedge about him and about his house and about all that he has on every side. You've blessed the work of his hands and his substance is increased in the land. But put forth your hand. Satan knows who's really doing it. 
and touch all he has, and he will curse you to your face. And again in chapter 2, Satan answered the Lord, Skin for skin, all that a man has, he will give for his life. But put forth your hand now, and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you to, to your uh, face. Now that's a marvelous and comforting revelation for those who are given to receive it. And it's an infuriating message to those who are not given to receive it. Here's what God, who God has made king of all who are not given to receive and and rejoice and be comforted in seeing and knowing of the sovereign hand of God in all things. Verse 34, he beholds all things. Speaking of this spirit that God has created to be the king uh, over the children of pride. He beholds all things. He is king over the children of pride. So pride... Uh, self-pride is the essence of this world. It's the it's the deepest part of our flesh. First John two sixteen for all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. It was pride that led Job and led you and me to accuse, condemn. And condemn our, our maker. Here's how Job did it. Verse, chapter 33, verse 10 and 11. Behold, he finds occasion against me. He counts me for his enemy. He puts my feet in stocks. He marks all my paths. This, this isn't just a statement of fact. Job is complaining. To which God inspired Elihu to answer. Now this is the answer. I hope we can receive it. Behold, in this you are not just. I will answer you that God is greater than man. Why do you strive against him? For he gives not account of any of his matters. That's the answer. For God speaks once, yea, twice, yet men receive, receive it not. In a dream, in a vision of the night, when deep sleep falls upon men and slumberings upon the bed, then he opens the ears of men and seals their instructions. Instruction, that he may draw man, withdraw man from his purpose and hide pride from man. God delivers us from our sinful pride in time. Psalms 59 verse 12, For the sin of, the, of their mouth and their words of their lips, let them even be taken in their pride and for cursing and lying which they speak. That's all of us while we're in Babylon, believing and teaching the lies of Babylon. The fear of the Lord, this is Proverbs 8, verse 13. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride, arrogancy, and the evil way. And the forward mouth do I hate. Now here is what God is doing with the pride of our lives. Leviticus 26, verse 19. I will break the pride of your power, and I will make your your heaven iron and your earth brass. What, what was he saying? Well, he's saying that he's going to make us to be rebellious. He's going to demonstrate that we have no power of our own. That's what making our heaven is iron and our earth is brass means. Leviticus 26, verse 38. You shall perish among the heathen in the land of your enemies, and the land of your enemies shall eat you up. We become food for the devil instead of him being food for us. 
It's all meant to tell us that the earth is the doomed enemy of heaven, and the earthy are the doomed enemy of the heavenly. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 45 through 49. As it is written, the first man Adam was made a living soul, the last Adam was made a quickening spirit. Howbeit, that was not first which is spiritual, but that which is natural. That first man Adam. And Paul is telling us here that this is all of us, and all of us. That was not first which is spiritual, but that which is natural. And afterward, that which is spiritual. The first man is of the earth earthy. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As is the earthy, such are they also that are earthy. And as is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Why? Because God has ordained it that way. This is not plan B for God. This is plan A. As it was conceived before the world began. First Corinthians 15.50 Now this I say, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Neither does corruption inherit incorruption. That's what flesh is according to the scriptures right there. Just corruption. This is also what happens will happen to Leviathan, the king over all the children of pride. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he himself, also himself likewise, took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death. That is, the devil. Destroy the devil. That's what we're being told. Satan, like the first man Adam, has a carnal mind which is enmity against God. Romans 8 verse 7 and 8 because the carnal mind is enmity against God for it is not subject to the law of God neither indeed can be so then they that are in the flesh cannot please God but the fire which is the word of God according to Jeremiah 5 14 will purify even the carnal mind of the children of Leviathan a king over all the children of pride and they will come before seraphim around the throne of God. And that's that's what they will become. They will become seraphim around the throne of God. And that's in Isaiah 6, verses 1 through 3. In the year Uzziah, King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it, the seraphim meaning fiery serpents. Each one had six wings, with twain he covered his face, with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of your glory. Now this verse confirms the truth of this verse of Scripture. Colossians 1.20 And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things to himself, I say whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. All things in earth or in heaven certainly includes Leviathan, the king of the children of pride. So next week, if the Lord wills, we'll discover the purpose for which we endure all these seven vials of the wrath of God, which is what the book of Job is all about. Upon the kingdoms of the children of pride within us. 
Now let's look at the verses we'll be studying next week. Verses 1 through 8 of, uh, of Job 42.